I had the fortune to be on a phone call with a family last night who's looking for some coaching support. And they said, who can come on the call? It was the grandfather who reached out and said, uh, we'd like to talk to you. Who can come on the call? I said, everybody. Get, get as many people who's in to support this kiddo who's struggling on the phone. Assuming I'd have grandpa, grandma, and maybe the child's mother. I had 12 people on the call. I was blown away. The, the wraparound concept of healing, getting as many people involved in a, what we call at our facility at Fire Mountain, Bear Tribunal, right? When the kid is going over his treatment plan, I want everybody who's gonna be part of this kid's recovery in the, the room. And we see four to five people, 12 people on the phone call. Last night, it was the biggest family I had ever had talking and every family member had something to say. And when we started talking about strength-based recovery, strength-based responding to this child and really supporting the family, I, I, unbelievable the response, knowing that this mother who is going to be working with this kid, this little 10-year-old kid into his adolescence had this type of background, this type of backup, this type of support. My guest today is Stephen Andrew. Stephen, uh, already, I love this guy. He's a storyteller. He's funny. Uh, he's 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 quirky. He's quippy. Um, and he's from Portland, Maine. And you have to like everybody from Portland, Maine. Uh, he's Absolutely. got a <laughs> he's got a compassion focused practice in Portland, and. We're going to be talking about this power of compassion in groups, this passion, this this compassion in families. When you're getting help uh, in a group of people, it is no one person is smarter than all people put together. So let's get people together in the room. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. This is a CCSAD virtual 2020 addiction recovery and mental health conference put on by C4 Events. And my guest, as I said, is Stephen Andrew. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Let's jump I'm in. I'm excited about uh, hanging out with you because I love that intro about these 12 people who who came together for this 10-year-old boy's life. And Stephen, I had never seen anything like it. I've been doing this work for 20 years. I had never seen a family pull this many people in for this mother and this child. Uh, the the boyfriend, as, as we began to talk about the mother and the boyfriend's relationship, the grandfather stepped right into the light and said, I haven't been supportive of, uh, of you two, and I'm going to change that. Like, it created this mob mentality of healing and love for this little kid and this mother who's struggling. It was, it was amazing to watch the change taking place so quickly. Stephen, talk a little bit about um, why you've ended up in the career that, that you have ended up. Why do you do what you do? How'd you get here? Hey, so, so, so Aaron, first and foremost, you know, this is my birthday week. I turned 70 on Saturday. Uh, so, so when you say... How did I get here? Um, I have not, never not been here. <laughs> uh, it, whether it was a kid or I, you know, learned, I became a street worker in terms of working with people at 18. I worked in a prison for a while. I, 
I, I have just been doing this all along, uh, just trying to bring people together in a compassionate conversation. You know, when you just said to grandpa, I said, I, I haven't been supportive and I'm going to change that. The next thing is, does he have the skills right. to be able to have the conversation with his daughter? Because people love well. They do the best that they can, but they're not skillful. And so what I love is the power of groups, of gathering people up to just begin to deal with that skillfulness. I could talk about piano theory all day long, but you're not a pianist until you put your fingers to the key and you practice and you practice and you practice. And the good news is that it doesn't matter whether it's 12 steps or or wherever, it's, it's, it's a community, and it has to be a tender, loving, compassionate community. And that's the healer. The healer is not an individual counselor. It's, it's actually not a theory. It's not cognitive behavioral or diabolical brain training. It's, it really is a compassionate, empathetic conversation that listens for people's dreams. When you have a group, let's let's start with a hard question because I know that a, a lot of the the families, the parents who are listening to this show, listening to you talk right now, uh, it, this is an easy concept to buy in to 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 say. Of course, you know more of us being loving towards loving and compassionate and understanding and ultimately skillful towards this child is going to be great. But groups have outliers. Groups have people who try to pull the group down for fear of what? So let's address the outlier. Mom in the group that I was talking to had an ex-husband, the child's father, who said he would be there and then didn't show up for whatever reason. Right. So I got an outlier that I'm starting with. What right. is my what is that mom's, what is my, as a coach of the situation, what is the family's responsibility to enroll the outlier and how do you enroll an outlier? Um, we're hitting, we're swinging for the fence here, Douglas. This is a, this is a big one. How do you enroll an outlier when you've got a group healing that, that's necessary? Well, it's really, really critical because that young, that young person's father who's outside now, who's outside for whatever reason right. is actually a hole in the psychic experience of that 10 year old. Right. It's a hole that in which he will now have to figure out how to heal. And the first is you go after outliers and you meet them with empathy and compassion. But instead what we do is we say they're wrong and they're bad. We and vilify, they're, we demonize. We demonize the outlier. And if we do that, what happens is that we create a hole in the 10-year-old rather than go and get them, knock gently at their door, and, the, and meet them with compassion and empathy. And if they still can't do it, that's okay. You can set a boundary. But you never stop reaching in a gentle, kind, tender way, with, no matter what the outlier. So if you have any group of people You'll, you know this by running a residential program. You'll have two or three, about a third of the group that's not necessarily engaging in the process. They, they're, they're doing their patterns of fear, self-protective patterns. 
And those self-protective patterns will never get healed unless somebody doesn't match that with empathy. If somebody doesn't show up with empathy. So you can leave the outlier out there, but now you leave the child with that wound. Does it threaten to wound the child deeper if, if, or do you do this in secret? Because if the child is seeing the family reach towards the outlier, you know, whether they're male or female, and, and you and I both understand, you know, you, you've, you've yeah. done work with Men's Resource Center of South Maine, working to support boys, men's, and fathers, opposing yes. violence. So, so you and I both know that the father wound, to, to use, you know, Joseph Campbell's ter- terminology. Um, if, if, if the boy is watching this family or experiencing this family reach out to the father who's an outlier, and the father still shuts it down, um, I know we're modeling compassion. Does it, does it widen the wound? Should we tell the person that we're reaching for the outlier? You know, the minute you demonstrate how to meet self-protective patterns with empathy and compassion, the 10 year old never loses. This is a, you just said a, the term I want to talk about because we use lots of uh, wonderful clinical jargon, you know, maladaptive coping strategies. Uh, it, it, this is, you call it self-protective patterns. It's pretty imperative that people see defense mechanisms as a survival tactic. So speak more on self-protective patterns, especially in a group format. Because, uh, you know, keeping the conversation around the idea that we're dealing with a group of people intervening, uh, uh, all re- all of them in recovery because they're family members, because they're community members, because, you know, the public, this, this, this healing one addict in a community heals a community. So if we yeah. do this as a community, but let's talk about self-protective patterns. How do they show up in the group form and how can the group uh, address them? Well, there are several there are several ways in which people show up in self protective patterns, and you said defense structures. But what what they really are is they are ma- they are places where people figured out how to take care of their own injuries. They are protective in terms of no more shame. They protect themselves. They, they are so resilient. And they're really, if you want, they're a basically f- trauma has three messages. When people are injured, they have three messages, Aaron. One, that they don't matter. Two, that they're not lovable. And three, that the world is not to be trusted. And when you tear away any self-protective pattern, you will hear one of those three messages, that I don't matter, or I'm not lovable, or I do not trust the world, because the world is where injury happens. So what happens is people develop, and I actually think, that self-protective patterns are resilient. They are resiliency. They are saying, I am gonna be the guard at the gate. I'm gonna make sure that no more shame comes into my life. 
and I will sacrifice my life. I will do addiction. I will do literally uh, isolation. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that there's no more shame in my life. Once this family, go ahead, please finish. I want to just go back to say that is brilliant. That is the brilliant way the human being reacts. So that father being an outlier is a part of his experience that has nothing to do with the family. Right. It is deep and old and part of his self-protective pattern. And he does not trust walking back into that circle in any way, shape, or form unless somebody goes gets him with compassion and empathy and brings them back. You're dealing with a group of, of, of family members, of community members who, and, and let's let's leave out the SMART model or the AA model for a second, because one yes, of the things yeah. about those models is that everybody has a comprehension and an understanding, which are two right. very different things. You can have knowledge about something, but unless right. you truly understand it, right, um, right. Th- there's going to be a gap in empathy. You can, right. you can be sympathetic, right. but being yep. empathic or empathetic, you, you, right. you, you have to, you have to know the experience. Yes. So now we've got a family that can be very empathetic because they know the yes. person, they know the person's pain, they're, they're feeling pain as well. And maybe yep. they have felt pain with other family members that they're using this to resolve. Right. But now we've got a group of people that they've been wounded, they're resentful, they're angry, they've been stolen from, they've been betrayed and lied to, and and you're coming in, here comes Mr. Compassion, uh, uh, Stephen Andrews saying, but you gotta understand, they don't gotta, but how do you get them? Well, you, you are the leader. You have to treat people that way. You can't ask them to do something in which you haven't demonstrated yourself. I mean, Gandhi once said very clearly, anything you want in the world, you have to be it. And the way you move people is you move people, the antidote to shame is empathy. And the way you move people, when they're hurt and they've been been stolen from, they've been, you know, what, what you try to do is to meet that with empathy. Right. Because that is their self-protective pattern. And meeting them with empathy quiets the shame inside of them that is the anger and resentment. That doesn't mean that they don't they reach, but that doesn't mean they don't set boundaries also. But boundaries are secondary. We learn in our right. culture that boundaries are first, like limits, limits, limits. They're actually not helpful. They're not helpful. That's why we have a giant prison system. What's helpful? What's helpful is to meet people with empathy and then set a boundary. And we don't learn to do that very well. We're not very skillful at it because most of us came from environments where we were so hurt and we developed our own self-protective pattern. And what we do is we get attached. Our ego gets attached. I call it the pesky ego. It gets attached to the right position. And then it destroys the relationship. This is particularly true in counseling. I watch it all the time. People get attached to the right position for this client, for this person. They're just attached. That's their ego. That's not the heart. The heart says, 
I care about you. I know that you're doing the best that you can with the resources you have. I believe in you. I sense that you can do far beyond your imagination, that you're much more capable, and that you want power, that you want to love, you want to feel purpose, and you want to belong, that that's part of who you are. And I never, never, ever have to deny that. It, 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 in, in talking about groups, whether they're family groups or community groups or support groups right. or, or right. however, do you believe that group work, group therapeutic intervention work, whether the group is trained or not, is more impactful, powerful than individual therapy and counseling? Absolutely. Why? Because, because of the universality. In other words, we're all in this thing together. Got it. We, you know, it, it, we, will, we will help people with trauma. We will help people deal with the injuries of their lives by committee, not by individuals. Individual counseling is actually only effective to motivate you to get to somewhere where there's a community. Social capital is the thing that will keep you alive and well. And we know that through so many things. 75 years of AA has taught us that, that it's the social capital. It's the fellowship. It's not, you know, I hate to say it, it's not even the 12 steps. It's the fellowship. That's what people report. Like, I show up not for the 12 steps, although I will use those. Right. And I show up because there's another guy in the room. Hey, Douglas. cares I, about me being here. Yeah, look, you're... My audience knows, because I have said this many times, I got sober in the rooms, but it wasn't the steps for me. It was the people. It, it was yeah. the people in the rooms that knew my story, could tell me their story. I could feel their story. They could feel mine. They understood I wasn't terminally unique anymore, right? In my family, in my family, right. I was terminally unique, but not yes. in a group. And then that's the power right there. You just said it. That is so much more powerful because if you just came to see me, you would think that somehow I'm smarter than, better than. You're judging me. Power differentiation is still there. But once you get in the room with the good old drunks, they were the same as you. They struggled with the same issues. They, They felt the same struggles. So for me, the issue was you felt something different. You were no longer unique. You belong to a greater process. That belongingness is a healing energy. Douglas, stand by a second. We're going to give a quick shout out to some sponsors. CCSAD, the virtual 2020 conference. uh, Look, these things live are incredible. But what sponsors have done is help C4 events transition these live conferences into this virtual conference. And, and let's be honest, with the way the, the state of the world, we're in COVID, uh, we're, we're many, many months into COVID as these episodes are being recorded. Uh, you know, this is, this is a new paradigm. This is a new shift. This is a pivot. This is quote, end quote, unprecedented times. But because C4, because the CCSAD conference has so many incredible speakers and and uh, facilities that have been a part of this amazing event for th- more than 30 years, 
We have people who continually stand up and say, how can we make this happen? Even though we're not allowed to all be in the same room, how can we make this happen? So these are the bronze patrons who helped make this happen. And this is a huge Beyond Risk and Back C4 and CCSED. Thank you and shout out to the bronze patron. Uh, Aware Recovery Care, Brookdale, Discovery Behavioral Health, Eating Recovery Center, McLean, Newport Academy, Retreat Behavioral Health, Silver Hill Hospital, Spectrum Health, Spectrum Health Systems, and Vista Research Group. Thank you. Thank you for, for putting forth the time, the energy, and the money to help C4 Events put on the CCSED Virtual 2020 Conference. Thank you from me because I still get to learn and share these amazing speakers with my listeners. And thank you for all of the therapists, counselors, and clinicians that showed up to these events, your event, the event that you help sponsor to get their continuing education credits. Huge thank you to our bronze patrons. All right, let's get back to our guest. All right, Douglas. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Stephen. Stephen, sorry, I keep I keep calling you Douglas because Douglas sent me your uh, <laughs> your bio. So, Stephen, thank you for the correction. Uh, I've been called a lot worse. I, <laughs> well, not knowing Douglas, you could have been called a lot better, and I could be making it worse. That's right. Uh, all right, Stephen. So uh, let's talk about. Uh, um, this, you're, you're also an expert in motivational interviewing. And, and I know my yes. guests, uh, are some, some of my guests understand motivational interviewing. Uh, some do not, some are hearing the term motivational interviewing, uh, for the first time I was introduced to motivational interviewing by a document that I had stumbled across online, um, called uh, Motivational Interviewing for the Repeat Offender. Uh, and it was a way of decreasing recidivism. Recidivism. Recidiv uh, repeat offenses. You've done it well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turned out it's one of the most popular motivational interviewing texts, and it's completely free online. Um, so let's just kind of start out of the gate because what I'm very curious about is how you mix MI motivational interviewing and groups, because it's, it's very, very prevalent in the criminal justice system, but it can be used in an instant. It's a powerful technique. Talk about motivational interviewing for a quick second. Well, the first thing is that, um, the best way to talk about it is every one of us who's working with and serving people wants to motivate them. And so the question becomes, what is the art and science of that effective conversation? What's, what, what, is, what is the artistry, but what is also the science of it? And so I'm not sure I particularly believe in the concept of motivational interviewing. I believe in the concept of motivational conversation. And that what Bill Miller and Steve Rolnick did was that they started to listen to conversations and started to get the science of what you could do, not the words, but what kind of attitude and skills could you have that would actually motivate the person you're sitting across from, the person you're trying to serve. And it doesn't matter what problem they have. 
it did come through the door of addiction, but now it's 27 different problem areas. It's about motivation. And it's about the idea of how do you listen? So let me give you a best example of this, Aaron. Great. The whole field, whenever I ask them to raise their hand, have heard this phrase. The phrase is meet people where they're at. It's a common phrase. But what if I told you that that's not helpful? What if I told you that the science says what we really need to do is to meet people where they dream? And that means that we gotta have compassion and empathy with direction. Like what is it that people want? What is the why they would be in your treatment program? Why would 12 people call? Why? What's the why behind it? Right. And I would suggest to you that there are four things that people want. They want power and control over the destiny of their lives. They want to love and to be loved. They want purpose. And finally, they want to belong and be a part of. And what I'm trying to do in groups is to get rid of the unsolicited advice, get rid of the power over, and have people be in relationship collaboratively, that they're not broken, that everybody in the room is trying to do the best that they can, and that they can be affirmed, they can be uh, empathized with, they can be held with great compassion. When that happens, your brain starts to change and shift and your perspective of the world, and you become actually self-compassionate, and your way of treating other people in your life is also compassionate. And it just is that kind of showing up at the gym, and that's the power of groups. Show up, show up, show up, show up. And you've heard it a thousand times, meeting makers make it. You show up, and then you practice, and then you show up. It's like going to a gym, and you're practicing empathy and compassion for people's very significant suffering. But you don't have to fix it because nobody's broken. I apologize. I have to move on to a 12 o'clock appointment. Yeah, we, we, we definitely do. Can we, give some, uh, uh, can we give some contact information for you? How are people going to find you and follow, follow up with you? Well, the first thing is that uh, I'm at a, you can catch my website, which is uh, www.hetimain.org. You can also uh, find some of the work that I'm doing on dignitymain.com, which is working with opiate use uh, and the struggle that we're having with that issue. And um, I would really encourage uh, people to listen to my two very beautiful podcasts that are out on, uh, on my website. You can find them, um, and they are demonstrating compassionate conversations. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Stephen, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you got to get off for your 12, your hard stop at 12. So thanks so much for being on. You can go ahead and jump off. I'll be in contact with you later, and I'll take us out. And thank you very, very much, 
good soul. And uh, listen, I look forward to having a deeper conversation with you. We're going to meet personally in Maine, without a doubt. Take care, man. Thanks so much. Folks, this is just that taste of motivational interviewing. I know um, is just enough to get you interested in what the concept sept is check it out and as steve and andrew was saying the this this power in this group uh is is going to outweigh the power of any individual i know this i i see this every single day with the kids and having been a product of those 12-step rooms uh you 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 experience it for 75 years those rooms of aa for free have been healing people and it's the people who are healing people it's that group that are healing people so check it out take take a uh, take a take a, a lesson from this and find yourself in a support group i want to thank deep in productions for the uh, incredible music for this show i absolutely love my new soundtrack and i want to thank them for constantly uh, going through my show cleaning up stuff and putting it all back together you can learn more about Deepin Productions and the music and podcasts that they produce at deepinproductions.com. I also want to thank C4 Events, who have, has kept me in their back pocket of being able to meet these speakers and sharing C4 Events with the whole world uh, and, uh, and the incredible events that C4 puts on, like the CCSAD Virtual 2020 Conference. Uh, please stay tuned for more of the CCSAD episodes. Please stay tuned for all of the Beyond Risk and Back episodes. Listen, like, subscribe, share, and please leave a review, especially on iTunes. It really does help parents who need help get help. Parents, remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our kids. I'm Aaron Huey. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I'll see you next week.